Okay, here we go. The Panda Magazine. He's about to get crazy and wild. Stay for a while. Don't touch a radio dial. The Magazine. Kicking it back. Sports talk. Listen to that and stay tuned for some giggles and laughs. Go. Welcome to the Planet Mikey Show. It's episode 61, Planet Mikey Podcast. I'm staff announcer Peter Puller. And unlike Don Pardo, I'm still breathing. Also unlike Don Pardo, I do not get paid union scale. But that's another story for another day. (laughs) Along with Babyface Kitchen... And forever young Bill Smith, we salute our sponsors, Leonard Hair Transplant Associates in Boston, Newton, Quincy, Worcester, Salem, New Hampshire, and Warwick, Rhode Island. And coming soon to Uranus, Joe Fish Seafood Restaurant, North Andover, and North Reading, and my grandma's world-famous coffee cake at mygrandma.com. And now your host, a man whose butt has squished more birthday cakes than Sparky Lyle, three-time Emmy Award-winning TV heartthrob, and winner of the Boston Magazine 1992 Best of Boston Award for Best Sports Anchor. Here to tell us why he's won nothing in the past 25 years, Mike Adams. Hey, thank you very much. Thank you. I'm going to be making my announcement about my future uh, in radio in the next week or so. But meanwhile, I want to go back in time. Back in time. With Smitty and Ben Kitchen to uh, uh, the reason I got into radio. There's one man that's responsible for me getting into the radio industry, and it's my initial uh, inspiration from a guy named Joey Reynolds. And before there was Don Imus, before there was Howard Stern, there was a guy creating radio mayhem across America, Joey Reynolds, a.k.a. Joey Pinto. He's Italian, which is always a good thing. Oh, boy. Joey Reynolds had uh, actually had the Four Seasons doing his theme song. We're going way back now. Joey, how are you? I'm good, Mike. It's good to good to be somewhere. I'm on a bus. <laughs> why, why are you on you a know, bus? Speaking of, speaking of the Four Seasons, I used to travel with them. You know, I didn't take payola when I was a disc jockey. I didn't believe in it because I didn't want anybody to own me. Mm-hmm. So my father called me a schmuck. But the fact of the matter is that I uh, I never got paid off for playing any of the records and making them hits, which in the early days it was okay to do that until they put a law against it. Now they call it lobbying. But anyway, there I was uh, with the Four Seasons, and Bob Crew was a friend, and I had Frankie Valley, and I was in New England. I was at WPOP in Hartford. I locked myself in the studio and played Sherry for about four hours. Mm-hmm. This is before I got on that uh, big WKBW, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I got a theme song from Bob as a payback for the wonderful job that i did to make it a hit and the next thing was i went to uh, on the road with them and i was on the road with the four seasons and uh well they, they always had other acts with them you know there was bobby goldsboro yeah. and lou christie Bonds. yeah uh, yeah well, well not then no lou was actually more with dick dick clark yeah that was later lightning strikes but anyway I, I was on the road with these guys and i was on a bus so here i am i'm on a bus again today uh <laughs> I'm looking for Frankie right now. But, you know, the thing that happened to me today is I came to visit my daughter in Florida and I took the train and the train only goes so far uh, because now we we use the tracks for other reasons, you know, for commercial reasons, for freight trains and and passenger trains share the same track. Suicides, you know. So my track got... uh, uh, detained today, and the next thing Amtrak does is they have a bus service. So I'm on the bus. Anyway, oh. that's a long story. And oh, I nice. tell you, Jerry. So well, we're on a bus. Well, hey, Andy, I am. sometimes just getting there is half the fun, isn't it? 
This is right. Well, you know, this is my life, being on a bus. Well, your, your life is, has been an extremely interesting one. First of all, just so you know, we have some people in common, okay, that, you, that I'm going to just throw out a couple of names here. and I want to make sure that they, they say they know you. Uh, I'm not sure they do. Let's start with uh, Dick Robinson. Yeah, well, of course. Connecticut School of Broadcasting. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Dick Robinson, babe. How you doing, babe? Everything's wild. How's your Clyde? You know, I used to listen to him and you back in the, the old days of AM radio. Well, you know, he was a very interesting guy. He opened the Connecticut School and had me as his first speaker. And uh, it was at the uh, one of the hotels downtown in Hartford. And I spoke in the room to about 20 people, and I asked him why they were spending all this money to get into radio when it was dead. That was years ago. And so Dick says, I don't think I'll have you at the, uh, I'll have you at the commencement if I ever have you again. So he never asked me again. <laughs> well, Ben Kitchen, who's here as the associate producer of the broadcast and, uh, you know, CEO, he, he went to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. I went there too. I had Walt Pinto, not Joey oh, yeah. Pinto. Yeah. You know, D- Kent Clark. Yeah. Well, he got shot in the ball. He, he did get. <laughs> he did. That's exactly right. Yeah. I think Patty did it. He was a part-time cop, and his wife didn't uh, think he was uh, doing the right thing, and so she took a gun and shot him in the ball. Well, and that was exactly. one of those missing things, you know. You're that's exactly have, right. He felt half in the bag for the rest of his life. You're supposed to have two. <laughs> <laughs> I read. I read that somewhere. Uh, yeah. I heard I heard you P.O.P. when I was a little tiny kid, Joey. But I think when I really got hooked on your your broadcasts were when you were doing the Royal Order of the Night People on Big D. Well, this is what be, uh, before Big D there was KB. Uh, in Buffalo. Was 50, yeah, that was a 50,000 watch station that KB, covered KB. all of the East Coast, you know. And, and one of my big fans uh, at that time who was nobody at the time like I wasn't anybody you know we all started as 19 18 year old kids was Stephen King and uh, he was up in New England and he said that he was uh, really a big fan and he wanted to uh, come and meet me and of course you know who he is Stephen King wrote all those horror stories I think I'm going to be buried at the pet cemetery <laughs> but he's a, he was a really big fan and and uh, you know uh, you, you got to know that all of us, when we were starting, it was the beginning of rock and roll, really. I mean, a little bit past uh, Alan Freed, but it was it was actually the we, I've lived the whole history of the rock and roll so far, and it's it's an interesting ride to have people like Dick Robinson and yourself, you know, because you're all a continuation of all of that stuff that we did earlier. It's good. It's great. Well, you great to have you still on the air. Uh, well, God, you know, I've been forty-three years. So, yeah, I mean, how many years in radio have you been now? I, I know I looked at you. You got thirty jobs on your resume, but so you 40. probably you probably forty. You probably left some off, though, right? <laughs> well, yeah, because I got fired thirty-eight times. You know, <laughs> but I, I like I, I I. But you know, when you're a stand-up a stand-up comic or a, a rock and roll act, you don't just stay in one place for five years. You know, right? You you move around a lot because you go where the money is. You remember that? Were you fired? You were you fired by Phil Zoppi? Uh, no. Matter of fact, uh, Phil was well. He had a double life too, you know. No, I didn't know that. Phil, All I know is he fired me. <laughs> well, now, wait a minute. Phil owned a carnival stand at Agawam, and he was a guy who would, when you step up to measure someone to see what their weight is, yes, and what their age is, and you give them a yeah. one of these. Really bad prizes. That was what what he did for a living. That was he and his wife ran that at, at Riverside Park in Agawam. Yeah, 
Are you kidding me? Was, no. And he had the nerve to he his... had the nerve to fire me? Well, <laughs> you know, maybe he thought you were the wrong weight. <laughs> no, Joey, I went I, I was I was working at WACE in Chicopee and Phil was the general manager, nineteen seventy three or four, it was nineteen seventy four, and I, I, I you know, it was a daytimer. I was the only guy in the station. I was hungry, so I went down to the store, I put on uh, the concert version of Chuck Berry's My Dingling, which is about 16 minutes, and I went down to the store to get some potato chips and chocolate milk, and when I came back, the door was opened for me by Phil, and he said, we got to let you go, kid. Oh. I said, well, I go, I'm 20. I said, why? He said, you can't leave the radio station unattended, and he slammed the door, and that was the end of my uh, career in Chicago. All right, chicken. well, now, now let, let me tell you what kind of a guy he is. All right, now. Let's go with this for a minute. <laughs> I was brought into WPOP by a program director. I will tell you who it was in just a minute. And he was best of friends with Phil Zoppi. Now, when I was on the air there at night on WPOP in Hartford, I took the four seasons. I had two discs of theirs from the session. They were from Bell Sound in New York. I went to the recording session with Bob Crew, was my friend. Wow. And I had the, the two, the two, they were not pressings. They were the discs that were made in the studio before they got mixed and mastered. Right. So I, I played them until they were they turned blue. You know, I had four hours. I played one after the other without any interruption. And the general manager was Phil Zoppi. But, you know, the only way, reason why I was able to get away with that, and the cops came and arrested me and closed the station. I um, mean, came into the station to get me because everybody was worried about what happened. Why is the same record playing? You know, that that stuff. Yeah, they thought but, you were dead. That's right. And the manager was Phil Zoppi, <laughs> but the program director, here we go, here's the punchline, was Morton Downey Jr. Oh! oh. So he's crazier than me. So Downey was, was actually uh, hired by Phil Zoppi to be programmer. Otherwise, I never would have gotten away with that. For You know, nobody would let that happen. Right. But they were both crazy. You know, Phil was, a, was a, uh, an adventuresome guy. Nice uh, guy, too. I loved him. Yeah, I liked him a lot. What's that? Uh, is it? Is there a time? No, no. There's a guy here? calling me on my cell phone because I'm an asshole and I forgot to turn it off. <laughs> oh, I thought, <laughs> I thought I thought I ran out of time again. Never, never. <laughs> We've been trying to get you for three, six, seven weeks. I don't know. We're not going to run out of time on you, Joey. Well, I'll tell you something. You're a great guy, and you have a lot of patience. And I'm glad that we're talking. Just so like, that's it. Just like a good doctor, you know, I have a lot yeah. of patience. You know, I I'll tell you what, I have a female doctor now who's uh Okay. She's I've never had a female doctor before. I was so nervous, Joey, going in there. I was like, I didn't even want to take my clothes off or anything. She says, "Please, don't don't worry about it. I'm a doctor. I've seen everything. I can help you with whatever problem you have." And I said, "Well, that's good cuz I I I think my penis tastes funny." <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. That didn't happen. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. So, so I, I guess you got so much history. This is unbelievable. Tell me about nailing your shoes to the program director's door. Well, after you uh, experienced, uh, listen, I've been, I've had a lot of, a lot of experiences. The one in Buffalo was very good. I was there for a few years. I had the number one ratings in the country, and there was a telethon. And the telethon was uh, with uh, Frank Gorshin at the time. He was the Riddler, yep. uh, Joker, sure. Batman. And also uh, the other guy was uh, Forrest Tucker, F Troop. Those were the stars of their day. And uh, I had him on the air uh, in, on the radio talking about the telethon for the Variety Club. Yep. And, and I was exposing the idea that the uh, telethons paid for people to appear. 
and and that that was not in those days you didn't say things like that you know now everybody's looking for the dirt we didn't talk that way on the air in those days we didn't tell everybody all our secrets sure uh, so I got on the air and I exposed the fact that they were getting $10,000 to come and do the show. <laughs> and, uh, and then Frank Gorshin wouldn't, wouldn't do any impressions, although he was famous for it. And I had a big thing with him on the air. He, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. No, he's, and, well, there's a good reason. I'll tell you why in a minute. Okay. So now Frank was, a, was a, a, a horrible guest. He didn't want to talk. He didn't want to say anything. And I said, come on, you're getting $10,000 to do this. Well, he furiously ran out of the control room. Oh. And I said, and, and Forrest Tucker's getting, uh, a, a case of bourbon, you know, Oh my God, you know, that's all I need to do. So now the president of the company was there for the telethon comes in and fired me. And I said, well, you can't fire me because I don't work for you. I said, I work for uh, Jimmy Arcaris. So he fired him. Oh. <laughs> and then you came in and fired me. So I went to his door and I nailed my shoes from my dressing room. Cause I had a TV show and I put a note in them. I said, fill these, you asshole. And that was the end of it. <laughs> fill these. That story so was... later. Years later now, Howard Stern, Howard Stern was uh, on top with his great show and his great marketing of himself. And, uh, you know, he did a wonderful job. And so uh, Howard, Howard had me on one day and he says, is it true you nailed your shoes to the door and said, fill these, you asshole? And I said, yeah. He said, that sounds like something I would do. <laughs> that sounds just like him. That's pretty good. And I said, Howard. When you were born, there was a star in the east. Me. (laughs) (laughs) We interrupt this portion of the Planet Mikey podcast for our very important commercial announcement. Take it away, Mike. From the star of the east in the world of betting. It's CLNS50, your code. Write that down right now. CLNS50. Why? Because you can use that at betonline.ag to make your Super Bowl bets and any prop bets you want to make as well. I did very well last week. I'm happy to report, gentlemen. Remember that our headquarters for placing your wager is betonline.ag. AG and Ben is here to tell you because he really is anxious to speak up for the first time in this podcast. What's the code, Ben? CLNS fifty. CLNS fifty. CLNS fifty. CLNS five. Oh, you ruined it, Bill. Oh, I know. Sorry. Hey. Yeah. hey, Bill. Yeah, it's good to talk to you this episode. Yeah, thanks very much. We return now to our regularly scheduled podcast of the Planet Mikey Show. You know, I actually replaced Howard Stern at WCCC in 1980. Yes, he worked for a guy who was an engineer. Yes, Cy Dresner. Yes, and he wasn't really a, a generous person. Not, not at all. In fact, he, he let us both get out of there. But, but the thing is, too, I want to tell you somebody who, who replaced me, Ken Griffin. Yeah, well, Kenny was doing my routine. You know, he worked for me in Hart in, in L.A. Did yes. you know that? I, I knew. Yeah, was it not KMPC? No, no, no. He was at he was at the Buckley Station KGIL. Oh, okay. But he worked for my company, which was the company that did those jingles with the over the intro records. You yeah, know? yeah. And I I had a very successful company. There were about twenty people, and Kenny was the production manager. And listen to this one because he's he, Kenny was great. You know, he was very very smart and funny Nuts. and unusual, and yeah. he did all these uh, impressions. You know. Uh, but but in the office, you know, he was very organized and a serious guy, real serious. Uh, so uh, one day we got a, we screwed up on a radio station. I had all the Bill Drake stations. I don't know if you know who that is. Sure, Drake. But yeah. I made all these jingles for radio, and they were they had to be on time, you know, because they were uh, hit records for that time for the week. Sure. And every week we had to send a new batch, and somebody screwed up and ordered to San Diego, and I called Kenny, and Kenny says, "Well, it was Pope Joy's fault." Now listen to this. 
when I had the company, I knew L.A. was filled with traffic and nobody could get around easily. So I created floating working time. So all you had to do was call someone the night before, and then that person would cover for you. Okay. And and then, you know, the job would get done. It didn't matter what time someone arrived at work as long as someone tagged team and got the other person in. Mm-hmm. And it was it was rather revolutionary for, for L.A. It worked pretty well, except we screwed up. And one of the guys didn't call, and it happened, and, and it all falls on Kenny's job. And I said, I said, Kenny, what happened? He said, they didn't happen. We uh, I didn't get the call from from this guy last night, it didn't, I didn't enable to juggle it around. And I says, in other words, and I, and then he goes through the whole story again. And he says, hello. He said, there are no other words. <laughs> are you kidding me? No. And so, which brings me around to Cy Dresden. Cy, yes. He offered me a job and I said, I would like to be paid when I'm being paid at WDRC. And he says, how are you being paid? I said, I'm paid by the word. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, what are you crazy? What are you, Cy Dresner? What are you, nuts? Never happened. Never, no. I know. I I was making 275 a week, you know, when when I got out of there with it. And that's exactly what Stern was making, you know. uh, Yeah, that's all. The guy was an engineer. He didn't care about me. No, he was, right. And he wasn't even a good engineer. He used to, he, uh, he was. Very bad at wiring that station together. We barely got it on the air most days. It was terrible. We didn't even turn on the AM transmitter every morning. We just stayed on FM. Oh, when I when when Ken Griffin replaced me in '77, it was Dick yeah. Robinson's. Dick Robinson had bought a radio station, uh, WRCQ in Farmington, and uh, and and he brought in Kenny to take over the morning show. And I was 23, and I got fired. And I said, "Oh yeah, it's Ken Griffin for Christ's sake." Of course, you know what? what no big deal. And I saw Ken in the hall, and Ken says, "He says, Mike, remember this." It's always better to have been a to be a has been than a never was. <laughs> so I thought it was pretty good. You know, I, it summed it up nicely for me. So you were in a Detroit, you were in Cleveland, New York, L.A., uh, Buffalo, Hartford. You don't have you don't have enough time to give all these marks. I don't think I do. <laughs> but you were in KMPC, weren't you there with the game show hosts out there at KMPC? Weren't you there? I was at KMPC, and I also had a comedy hour, which Tom Chauvin produced. Remember him? Yeah. Uh, so I had a I had a show that followed the Angels games on all of the Golden West stations. It was syndicated by Golden West. Yeah. And that was every every game after the game for one hour. We had a comedy hour. So I did that. Plus, that's how I got to do the first satellite show in the country, which was Satellite Live. And because I was on KMPC and I was uh, a, a, an outlaw, uh, they thought I'd be a good host for that. And I stayed and did that show for three years. Now, you also, on your, I, I couldn't believe when I saw this, because I didn't know this. My first job in radio was Manchester, Connecticut, WINF. Were you, yeah, I was there. You were there, too? I was there for one day. <laughs> I mean, I got on the air. <laughs> and uh, they had a shopping center that they were broadcasting. Yes, when I got the parkade. I tear the, I tear the place apart, so Chauvin <laughs> couldn't get me out of there fast enough. <laughs> the, Man- the Manchester Parkade. Are you shitting me? That's great. See, I didn't. I I didn't know. A lot of people stopped through at WINF briefly, but I didn't. One day. That's amazing. You know. Well, you know what's really dangerous is I have a good memory and I remember everything, and everybody yeah. hates that because I I'm Italian, and you know we're not allowed to talk. 
Uh, I grew up in an Italian neighborhood in Manchester, Connecticut. This was my first job in radio, right? They had me doing overnights, and in, yep. uh, and it was three hours of of religious evangelists talking, right? And the oh, mo- yeah. at quarter of six in the morning, they had this uh, a show that was on electrical transcription, you know, ETs. It was called Lifeline. It was a redneck show out of Texas with with Melvin Munn, and it would start this is Lifeline from Dallas, Texas. I'm Melvin Munn, and he was a serious redneck. Well, I would cue, I was such a rookie, Joey. I'd be cueing that E.T. like a record, you know? And the first word of the show was this. So I'd be like, this shit, this shit, this shit, this shit, this shit. And I'd cue it a thousand times, but I didn't realize the pot was going up over the air. It wasn't in cue. It was, it was going over the air. So it's quarter of six in the morning, and I'm cueing this thing a thousand times, this shit, this shit, over this guy's fucking program. And when the boss well, comes... The guy you comes, weren't too far off because the guy who was really, who was really tra- tracing you was Uncle Jay in the afternoon. Remember him? Yes, Uncle Jay ended up on Channel 18. Yeah, he was very, very good. Very but, freaky. You know, he, now you know, back in those days, there was not a lot of talk radio, if you recall. No, not at uh, all. And, and, I mean, it was a different kind of talk radio. It wasn't about answering phones and arguing. Uh, so you know, this started uh, with in Manchester, in the market, in that market, in Hartford, right. with Jay. Jay was very good. He was in Boston, you know. Yeah, he was and, afternoons, right. Yeah, so he did a good job. I mean, you know, he was very popular, and, and I, I, I learned from him because he knew how to engage people on the phone. You know, we learn from each other, and, and, and you pick up things, but a, a lot of times we don't give credit. But, you know, even Dick Robinson, who was at one time, uh, you know, he was a hunk. Remember, he got on stage and yeah. all the girls would swoon over oh, him sure. like he was, uh, you know, he introduced the Beatles and we didn't know who to cheer for, you know, John, uh, John Paul, or, or should we be cheering for Dick Robinson? Dick. Didn't know which one. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, somebody attributed, I don't know if this story is true or not, but uh, Jim Boulderbook, do you remember Jim Boulderbook, uh, Bob Brooks? Well, he's one of my good friends. He, yeah, he told me this story. And I don't know if you, it was you or Ken Griffin, but I'll, t- I'll replay it to you. You tell me if it's valid. Somebody was canning their farts in a bathtub by taking a, a baby food jar and sitting in the bathtub and holding the jar over their crotch. And when the bubble came up, they would trap it in the jar and then they would leave it on people's desks at DRC. So somebody, some, somebody left this canned fart in a baby food jar on Dick Robinson's desk and he came in and he, opened, he says, what the hell is this? And he opens it up and, of course, you get hit right in the face with a freshly canned fart. <laughs> And Dick said, first thing he said, I thought it was Jim. I know Brooks was Bob Jimbo. He turned to me and said, oh, Christ. He goes, that's wild, babe. Did you fart in that jar? (laughs) (laughs) Now, were you there for that? No. (laughs) No, that's too bad because I was hoping to validate that one. I don't know. Uh, There's probably named a group, the Canned Farts or something. I mean, he played a lot of records. (laughs) Uh, Canned Heat. Uh, now, you went back to, to POP in 74 for a, a, a guest visit. I remember this vividly because I started at POP in 75. And uh, I, at the time, was running a, you know the number one uh, porn theater in New England for the Jersey Mob, and we were showing Deep Throat. <laughs> and, well, wait, wait, wait. No, stop on this now. Yeah. yeah. Because I want, I want to know. Let's go to current, okay? Yeah. No, no, wait. Stop with what you're saying. Uh, I, I had an apartment in New York. I had a, a house in New York, a townhouse. And I had black mold in the place, so I had, uh, unfortunately, was in Harlem, which is not a bad pun. But, you know, I had, uh, I had a terrible time with uh, health. 
from that warnings, warnings about black mold. Yeah. So, uh, so Jack Wayman, who founded the Consumer Electronics Association, he asked me to stay with him until they cleared the mess up. And Jack was the guy who was also fought the Betamax case, which was about having motion pictures put on video Tape. for Sony. Now, there's two things that happened. Sony was only a one-hour format on their home use. Right. And the VH was VH was the uh, two-hour format, if you remember, J- JVC, right. Japanese Victor Company. So uh, what happened was <laughs> they were fighting motion pictures. Jack Valenti, head of the American Film Association, on the right to use motion pictures on video and sell them in stores. They, they were fighting them. The Motion Picture Association did not want that to happen. So the 70s. So the only, only films that they could use was porn, like The Green Door and Deep Throat, and all those things got famous. Deep Throat was 58, uh, 58 they minutes. They were the ones that were allowed to be sold in stores on tape until the Congress allowed the, the fact of matter for motion pictures, major motion pictures, to be allowed to be on videotape. Now, Ironically, Sony bought Columbia Pictures, as you know, years later, they had DVDs. And if it were not for that, we wouldn't have this great, vibrant global business in motion pictures if it were not for the fact that they had gotten the permission to run those videos on, or uh, those films on video. Right. Now, but the, the people, every year when you go to the Consumer Electronics Show, down, the reason I'm telling you the story, downstairs in, in, the, in the halls, you know, there, it's two million square feet. I just came back from it. And it's every year I go to the Consumer Electronics Show for the conferences, and the conferences and speeches are great. But downstairs is the Dirty Show, sure. which is the uh, AGVA or whatever they call it, the American Adult Film thing. And that's with respect to the fact that they were the ones who helped to kick the thing off. Yeah. So that's... the porn, for whatever it did, it, you know, for however it got everybody off, it uh, also got a lot of people on. You know? <laughs> it did. Well, in the seventies, terrific thing. Yeah. Well, it's, and you know what? You, you so you had a you had a theater where a, you ran. We had pictures, a theater in right? Manchester, Connecticut, and 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 the we were partners with some people who owned the movie Deep Throat. So they came into town and they we did. So who the, was that? Russell. What's his name? So, well, it was the guys. It was the guys from Jersey. <laughs> but okay, it, never mind. Go it, ahead. Yeah, I, you know, pick up the movies at the bus station, but. Um, yeah. So we ran some ads on WPOP for your guest appearance on uh, when you just came back for that one show or whatever at, in 1974. I don't know, probably, probably Gary Gerard and uh, you know uh, Pellegrino roped you in, Dick Springfield. But uh, you were on the on the air, and the the ad ran for Deep Throat at the Manchester Twin Cinema, and you came on afterwards and you said Deep Throat. He goes, "Geez, I thought that was a Disney movie about a giraffe." And we, <laughs> <laughs> I said, "This guy is is." He's still nuts. He's still yeah, crazy. Bad, bad jokes. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, it's the rapid-fire nature of the jokes, too, that, uh, you know, because... You, you well, can... it's, it's, I think it's all in the timing. Like, Larry David Larry David can't do anything from five years ago. He always says that. You know, I lived with Kramer, and Larry was his best friend. Yeah. So I had a, I had a, a, a lot with... You know, there's a lot of good people around, you know, who, who make everything happen. Well, you you've met almost everybody, I'm sure. You know, going well, back. Well, yeah, I, fifteen years out of a talk show on a network without any without any phone calls and no talking of politics. Right. What do you think you're going to have? You're not going to sit there and do a monologue. I mean, that's that's ten minutes. That's insane. And you got the rest of the night. I had four hours. 
It's a long time. Who was the best? And you got everybody. I've had everybody on the air from New York that I could think of, and everybody who was ever important uh, comes along. But you know who's really important, and you're doing it right now. It's the it's the social network. It's people. The important thing is is listeners because they really are the fan base, and you don't have anything if you don't have them. Well, how come you don't uh, have a podcast, Joey? We no commercials on AM radio anymore because nobody listening to it, in my opinion. Right. Well, I you remember, they, you uh, came you from know, when... Japan, they got rid of AM entirely. It's all FM. Well, AM, AM was king when you when you started your career, and, and there was no interest on my part or anybody else's part as time went along to be on FM until, it, it, what, late, late 70s? Yeah, it came later. Yeah. But, you know, that's because you, you didn't have repeaters and you couldn't pick up the signal because it didn't go over a building or a mountain. Uh, so, right. you know, I mean, you couldn't get... Damn thing. Under if a bridge, were, yeah, you couldn't get if under. You were living next to a high-rise building, you were going to pick it up. Now, why? Why don't you have a, a podcast, Joey Reynolds? Uh, I, I, I'll, why don't I have one? I have. I, I'm on Facebook. You can follow me on Facebook. Yeah. And I do these these uh, Reynolds raps also on YouTube, and I have a longer version, a longer form. It's not. I don't call it a podcast because a podcast is a formal introduction for maybe a half hour, an hour at a time, and. And you know, I noticed you got a sponsor coming up, which is uh, a fish house, right? Somebody yeah. who's selling seafood. Is that did I Joe, hear that right? Joe Fish, Joe Fish Seafood, baby, North Andover and North Reading. Well, do you remember Custies? Custies, no. It, it's, in, in, in New Hampshire, all the lobster you could eat for eighteen dollars. You remember that? And they had their own uh, backyard. Was a, was where they pick up the lobsters. No, that's big you know, though. Well, it's very much like radio because a lobster, when it's hungry, eats its own claw. <laughs> We've all been eaten by by coworkers, haven't we? You know, I worked at W. I, I worked at WLOB in Portland, Maine, at the Lobster Radio Network, your crustacean station. I actually got oh fired from God. there too. Well, I was with LLB with Linda Bean on her island last year with Jim Bolderbook. With Jimmy, yeah, well, he's up there in Maine. He's got a beautiful place up there. Well, you know why he bought a casino. He's the first casino owner in the state of Maine. Did you know that? I did not. I saw him two years ago when I, for dinner, but I haven't. He didn't talk about that. He was talking about the car, oh, the car my God. business. You, you ought to see his house. He has a ten-acre estate. It's right across the stream, uh, across the lake, private lake. He's got. It, it's like a national park. He was my GM at WLOB in Portland. When last time I worked in Maine, that's Jim well, Baldebuck. Yeah, he's a he's a very successful guy, and he had. Uh, uh, thought to put gambling in Maine, and it, it failed the referendum, but he stuck with it. And he got some other partners with money, mostly car people, because he was a car guy. Yeah, you know, car he, was guy. A, he had an auto agency. Uh, he, he, he created an agency that handled auto dealers on the professional level, you know, not on the consumer level. Right. So so what he did was he, he, he fought to get this uh, casino because back when, when Carter was president, the Indians had a choice to take a, a reservation money from the, gov- the government, and they just qualified for this right that even Hard Rock has now, you know, with Seminoles and the Mohegans. So Jimmy opened a, a casino. He sold it for $150 million two years ago. Oh, my oh. God. He and his partners, uh, you know, I mean, he made a pact with the devil, I told him. No. <laughs> you can and, buy- and, you know, one, one of those guys up there is Bob Fuller. Speaking of your announcer. The Fuller, Bob Fuller you know, Four. Bob, <laughs> yeah, no. This is the other, the one that was on uh, JJ on on uh, WRKO. Oh, not the I fought the law, the Bobby Fuller four. Uh, no, 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 no. That's a record. This is the jock. But you know, we've had a great career with the uh, radio and records and everything. But you didn't stay. You didn't mention the thing that I'm most famous for right now. Right now? Yeah. 
let me see. Are you being on the Oprah Winfrey show? No, no, I'm old. kidding. I'm kidding. All the stuff's old. Everything's old. It's, you can't live yesterday. The thing that, that being on I'm a bus. Old. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, I was, uh, uh, you know, I was a marketing director for Star Wars, so that always gets that comes up. Wow. Wait a minute, you were the marketing director for the, the original seventy-seven release of Star 20th Wars. Century Fox at nineteen seventy-seven. I was a creative director at Fox. You're kidding? That's my job. That is. Could you get? Can you get R two D 2s autograph for me? <laughs> oh my God! I can roll one in. You know, uh, <laughs> I, can roll, I can roll you a fat one. All right, now you're you're getting off the bus. It's it's time for Joey to get off the bus. (laughs) Joey, I'm coming into Day City. Where is he? Joey Reynolds. Yeah. Have you had enough of my crap? Because I'm going to get off the bus now. Joey, do it. Thank you, and say do an intro to Rats in My Room for us, okay? Because we're going to close with that, bud. Oh, Rats in My Room! My God, that that's I had Tiny Tim record that once. You know that? No. Never got. How released. can I know that? That record was not released. It escaped. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the great, not the late Joey Reynolds. Thank you, sir. Have a well, nice. Wait, and Mike. Now, wait. With due respect, <laughs> yes, uh, you're not. You're no slouch. Come on. Uh, we're really oh, very. I'm a hell happy. of a slouch. I'm, you're a terrific, uh, a terrific host. I know you are, and I'm not saying it to, to falsely flatter you, but I know you are. Everybody says that. So you're a good guy, and I thank you. I hope someday to sit down across from you. So come to Little Italy, and I'll and I'll give you some cannolis and buy you dinner and. And then we'll sit there and we'll. Uh, I'll have we'll some of your fa- your famous cheesecake, and we can go visit Boulder Book in Maine because he's a great friend of mine too. Well, you come you come to Little Italy, and I'll take care of you, and so will the mob. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Joey. All right, I love you. Nice talking and to you. you. And we you can't you vote too. on it, Mike. You can't vote on it. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Mister Fuller. Thank you. <laughs> rats in my room. I am bothered by those rats in my room. By those dirty little rats in my room I can't stand rats in my room